Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. I'm Chris Solomon and joined today by, I believe, our fourth player, PGA Tour player we've had on the podcast, Charles Howe the third. Charles, what's going on today, man? Well, man, absolutely nothing. I uh, appreciate you uh, you taking the time to have me on. I've uh, been a been a longtime follower and admirer of your work, and uh, man, I, I'm excited to be on it. Wow, thank you for taking the time. But first of all, are you are you on Twitter? Like, I don't. I, I looked for your Twitter account and can't find it. Are you like a secret Twitter user, or what is it? No, I'm actually not on Twitter. Um, and the reason for that is I would be the guy that would be laying in my bed at 10 o'clock at night arguing and fighting with people, yeah. um, and it would probably just ruin my life. <laughs> um, so for, for better reasons, um, I've decided to stay away from Twitter, uh, but I've read your stuff. Some, some friends of mine that are uh, started screenshotting uh, you know, some of the stuff and the, and the, that you put out and sending it to me. Um, and you know, that's how I first heard of no laying up and, and now, you know, a bunch of guys on the PGA tour follow your stuff and everybody talks about it. And it's, uh, it's really funny, but I can tell you're just enough of a golf sicko because (laughs) you're really smart at what you say. And if you're not really a golf guy, you may miss some of it. But being a true golf sicko, it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, I do appreciate that. But i got to admit, I saw walking on the range last week at the Memorial. Um, Again, I've never interacted with you before, and uh, you're not on Twitter. I've interacted with some guys on Twitter, and so I at least know that they follow. But you were walking right towards me, and you just had a serious look on your face. I thought, man, (laughs) did I say something bad about Charles House? Is he about to punch me right now? (laughs) Well, first off, you'd kick my ass. So we, we get that straight. But no, man, I just I, I saw the T-shirt and I thought, well, it's got to be. And then I know this is a bit random, et cetera, et cetera. I thought, what the heck? I'll introduce myself and just see if it is the legend himself. And it was. <laughs> well, it was it was awesome. That was a cool moment. Uh, but so I do appreciate you doing that. But oh, uh, um, so I'm going to start off with like a, I'm just going to admit right off the bat, this is a bad question. Okay, so I, I know that. Yeah, fire. <laughs> Um, so I love you're, it. you're not playing the U.S. Open this week. Yes. Uh, honestly, is that like the end of? Is that like not the worst thing in the world to be at home with your family for a week instead of going through what I'm seeing about Oakmont right now? You know, it, it's funny because I. It, it, that's a that's actually a really good question, and, <laughs> and you know, from a player's point of view, like so for me, for instance, I'm not in the top fifty in the world ranking, and so my best avenue of, of getting myself back into the majors and the world events would be top 30 on the FedEx Cup. Yeah. And so I've played a ton of tournaments this year. I played in Memphis last week. I'm going to play Quicken Loans next week, and I'm going to play a ton to try to get myself back into that top 30, which gets me in these, you know, say bigger, better events, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, now, full disclosure, yes, when I look at the rough and the speed of the greens, and I remember from playing there in 07, it may not be the worst thing in the world to be home uh, practicing for a week, if I'm being really honest. 
Well, so I mean, it looks like if, if I'm looking through your career, you tend to play, and I, I don't have number, I don't really closely track the number of events people play, but it looks like you you do play a lot of events. So has that always been a conscious thing? I know the FedEx Cup's only been around since like I think '07 or so, so I know that's not always been what the criteria is. But um, I guess are you uh, you are you? It sounds like you're just a guy that likes to play a lot and doesn't take a lot of weeks off. Well, it's true. And- you know, and obviously, like yourself, I mean, you have a job, you work every day, and you don't, you know, take weeks and months off. And I mean, golf is, is what I do, and 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 I, I do love the game. Um, you know, there are times where I actually I think I like playing the game more than you know competing. Um, you know, as a kid starting off playing golf, it's you know I started off to play, and then I fell in love with the game because I like golf. Um, you know, happened it turned into a career and, and whatnot. So yeah, I'll, I play a lot. Um, you know, the other side of that is too. I mean, how how lucky are we that we play golf on golf courses that are manicured perfectly? They've looked forward to our event the whole year, and you're playing for seven to ten million dollars now. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, let's face it. This ain't football. We ain't getting hurt. You know. I mean, let's let's go play for money and. You know, a lot of people retire to play golf, and we're actually already living that retirement, if, if manner of speaking. That is, I mean, that's a fantastic perspective on it, but I think also at the same time, people can uh, can can underappreciate how much of a grind life on the PGA Tour can be, being in different hotels week to week, and, and uh, you know, do you travel, I guess, a lot with your family? How old are your kids? I know you have two kids. I don't know how old they are, but are they on the I've road with two, you? Uh, they're, they're six and four, so they're, they're actually going to start school in August. And up to this point, they have traveled with me for quite a lot. Um, you know, in reality, starts in August. You know, that's when uh, my wife and kids stay home. You know, that's when the golf will start to become a little more of a job. Um, you know, scheduling things around kids' activities. And, I mean, obviously, I guess the model for that's Mickelson, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's you know, flying home uh, for a daughter's graduation the week of the U.S. Open. So, um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it, reality will start in August when the kids aren't traveling as much, but they'll still come out for the summertime and, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be just fine. Uh, so, I mean, how much, it sounds like one of the first things you mentioned about uh, was your world ranking and how, and you're, it seems like you're pretty aware of, of where you are in the stands, standings. Is that something that you really track on a week-to-week basis, or are you basically of the opinion, like, look, if I play well, I'm going to improve in the rankings? Um, a little bit of both. You know, the world ranking, if, if you actually look back on, you know, the creation of it, it was, it was kind of, you know, designed and created as a way for IMG to track players and go sell them corporately. Um, You know, then all of a sudden the governing bodies start picking it up as a uh, a conduit for golf tournaments and and, in the bigger events. And now all of a sudden it's, it's the major criteria for, you know, world events, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So now it's become a big deal. Um, And I think more players track it and follow it closer than they want to admit uh, because it is such a, it is such a massive deal now. Do you overall? Would you say the rankings are fair, or do you like the way it's structured? Uh, not completely, but I think it's getting better. Okay. Um, you know, I, I do understand that it is almost impossible to rank a player in America versus a player in uh, Japan or, let's say, Europe that never ever play against one another. Right. I mean, and I get the difficulty of that. Um, I do wish. There was a little more consideration for the depth of fields in America on the PGA Tour. 
uh, as opposed to the depths of field maybe at other events. And, and, and we see this happen all the time. A guy that you may say, wow, nobody's ever heard of this guy, and he just won a tournament. Um, I mean, that's how good players are nowadays, that, that everyone in the field can win. Um, and I do, I do wish the World Ranking Committee would give a little more credence to that and not just the top you know, handful of players in the tournament. Right, because, I mean, I mean, frankly speaking, do you think, and uh, this isn't a realistic option for you both dollar-wise and family-wise, but do you think if you were playing on the European Tour as much as you play on the PGA Tour that your World Ranking would be better? Do yeah, yeah. Um, because on a relative scale, I think my results would have been higher, um, and, and I think most players would probably admit or agree to that. Um, now, it's also though the players that really want to chase a world ranking and know exactly how it works. You'll see them pop up at random tournaments around the world. <laughs> um, and listen, they're not dumb. That's just how the system is set up, and they're and they're using that to their favor. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to blame him for it. I think uh, I think you kind of touched on what my problem is with it, in that um, you could finish a shot back uh, or maybe two shots back uh, on the PGA Tour one week, and you know you're, you're maybe you finish T four because of that, and you're getting less world ranking points than a guy playing like a event in South Africa where the best player in the field is ranked 200th in the world. So it doesn't, it does tend to, I think, overrate really high finishes on the European tour, which that's what's hard for me to balance in and understand is like, I, I think wins should be rewarded, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's got to be more about who you beat than the fact that you're winning, right? I couldn't agree more with you. And if you look at um, you know, the Sagarin rankings and, and, you know, that Jeff Sagarin has done. And obviously he's a smart man. He's ranked other sports and whatnot. Um, if you compare his rankings to the world golf rankings, there's some massive differences in there. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, it, you're exactly right where if a guy on the PGA Tour finishes ninth, tenth place, whatever, he has had a phenomenal week. Um because if in most fields are 156 players, there's 150 guys that could win the tournament. Um, and yes, I, I do think that part of it is yeah, underaccounted for. Um, and also, too, the way the World Ranking Committee is set up, you know, there's only so many votes that the PGA Tour has, et cetera. So it's really hard to override and change that system. Okay. Um, okay, so what it, about that world ranking system, I guess, if, if you were a young player coming, let's say you're coming out of college right now, um, yep. do you think it's harder or easier to get to the tour than it was when you came out? And what, what, uh, what path would you take? I mean, we've seen guys like Brooks Kepka, Peter Uline take the European tour route. Guys like Spieth have, have tried to earn their uh, FedEx Cup points and money through sponsors exemptions. I guess, what do you, uh, what do you think of the current system, how it sets up now? And what do you think your strategy would be if you were coming out of school right now? Well, a, a couple of things. Number one, I was really disappointed that they got rid of Q School. Yeah. Uh, I thought there were way too many great stories. J.B. Holmes, uh, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, you know, guys that played their way right through Q School, right on the PGA Tour. I remember J.B. Holmes did it, and then he won Phoenix. Yeah. Um, what a cool thing that is. Um, so right now, the tour is forcing you to play the Web.com tour, uh, even like uh, – like a Bryson DeChambeau, a guy that obviously they have really hyped up and it's massive and this is a, it's going to make the Ryder Cup team and all this. I mean, in, in theory, he could still play nice golf and have no place to play next year. Yeah. Um, so if I were a young player coming out, I would do the, the, the Brooks Cup, Cup, Peter Uline model of, of I would go to Europe first. 
um, partly because I, I think it, it, it is nice for an American to travel the world. Uh, it's nice for an American to see that you know the world doesn't end at our borders. That there is more out there, and and uh, obviously you living overseas, you understand that. <laughs> and I would do that for a while, get my world ranking up, and then come over to America. Um, now you're seeing guys as a Rory McIlroy, for instance, as a global player. Uh, I think in time that'll that'll wear him out, and he'll be tired from that. But I think for a while he can do it now. Uh, what what a cool way to do it! Yeah, no, I think even Kepka has credited uh, credited the, what the, I I'm always one to criticize the current system because I don't I don't think that we should have a system in place that encourages our young American stars to play overseas when we already Correct. Uh, where it might be. But he's even credited that for in his development, which I do understand that. But I think. Uh, I don't think that uh, that was what Fincham and, and the and the folks up at the top had in mind when they designed this system. But um, at the same time, he hadn't earned his card any other way. And I don't think it. I don't think the, the new system really would have changed something something like that. But um, uh, transitioning a little bit because I know it's U.S. Open week, um, and yep. you've played in several U.S. Opens. I think nine, if I'm counting right. Um, yep. Have you or what do you? What is your overall attitude towards the way the USGA sets up a golf course? Well, when I when I first started playing U.S. Opens, I I remember the Beth Page Black in two thousand two. If you missed a fairway, I mean, and by six inches, you were just hacking it out sideways, and that's sort of what they were known for. Then all of a sudden, they go to the graduated rough system, which then it led into Pinehurst, which very little, if any, rough. And then then we had Chambers Bay last year, which I don't – no one really knows what that was, <laughs> um, right? And then and then now Oakmont, from everybody I've talked to, it's, it's back to hay again. So, um, you know, I, I think Mike Davis – you know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Mike Davis has a healthy ego, right? And, and, and Mike Davis – wants to put his imprint on professional golf and he's running a major. And I think sometimes it it gets a little bit overboard, um, to be fair. And, uh, you know, you you look back at the long putter debacle and and all this, you know, the things that the USGA have done, even the groove changes, um, you know, how that impacted manufacturers by having to spend all the money to retool their equipment to make grooves for tour players. And then three months down the road, nobody's even talking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's a bit of an aura and a air about the USGA where they really like to leave their mark on things. And, um, you know, when the, when the long putter debate came out, you know, I thought that was a great time for the PGA Tour to make its own set of rules. Um, and I think the PGA Tour now has the clout and the credence and the uh, to, to do that. I think uh, the PGA Tour is big enough to do that. And, of course, they decided not to. But um, it, 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 I think it was a good time where the Tour could have said, you know what, we're, we're going to do our own rules. Thank you, guys. Do you think that the Tour would ever could potentially bifurcate um, – Really, for the first time on this distance issue, that that seems to be seems to be more and more prevalent year over year. Well, and I know you read the report where the USGA came out <laughs> and said that driving decision. I mean, okay, let's just okay. So I play with these animals every week, and, and I'm not short uh, by any stretch. But Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson and Jason Day and Bubba Watson, these guys hit the ball so far. It's incredible. Um, 
And I remember there was we were at the PJ at Whistling Straits last year. Number 11 is a par 5. And it was a little bit of right-to-left wind, minimal help. Uh, I hit driver 8-iron and thought I could just smoke this drive, big bounce. I turned the telecast on two hours later, three hours later, and Jason Days hit driver sand wedge on the green. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the times I get paired with uh, Dustin and uh, Rory McElroy, it's just – I mean, how far these guys are hitting the ball, it's incredible. Now, they're a better athlete, for sure. I mean, Dustin Johnson, is, I mean, he's built like an orangutan. And, you know, Rory McIlroy has made himself extremely fit, uh, et cetera. But, you know, I, I am hearing some grumblings. When I was up at Memorial uh, speaking to uh, Jack Nicholas. You know, there's that old guard, if you will, is really after trying to slow the golf ball down or roll it back. Um, now, if that were to happen, it would be really interesting to see what direction the PJ Tour took on that because, you know, a lot of players make a lot of endorsement money off endorsing golf balls that, you know, they claim are better than other manufacturers. Yeah, no, I think this is kind of links into what I wanted to This bridges the discussion between how technology has gotten maybe a little out of hand and how the USGA sets up golf courses in that. Um, I, I'm all for a good test for players. I think even the players support a course that, you know, that separates the, the, the true talent. Um, and it's got to be a tough line for you guys to walk in that uh, I could just hear the hesitation in your voice when I asked the question. You've got to kind of be careful about what you say because a few bad words about a golf course and you can sound like a spoiled golfer. You know what I mean? And the, the, yes, correct. And, and that's what pe- some people just are, before people even start complaining about the setup, are criticizing you know, any player that would ever complain about a golf course setup. But I think overall what um, the technology has gotten to this point where guys can hit it so unbelievably far that they have to do these certain weird things to golf courses that kind of take away the test part and add this luck element that isn't really fair. So, yes. um, and, and Mike, Dave, I give Mike, well yeah, I'll give Mike Davis credit. He does introduce, and I'm, I don't know what it's like this year, this year at Oakmont, but at least graduated rough. Um, and that yes. if you're a foot off the fairway, you're not hacking back out into it. I do like that, but. Um, at the same time, I mean, seeing some of these greens and having that be the defense of the course, and uh, it just can it can go from being a fair test to being getting really silly really quickly. And if you're not in complete control of the conditions, uh, it can get away from you very quickly. So that's what I, I think uh, if you were to change the way that they were setting up a course, rather, and you can make it as custom for your game as you'd like, what do you what would do, what do you think that you would like to see the USGA do that would make uh, I don't want to say more fair, but make the make it um, a better championship. Well, I think I think first off, the graduated rough that you alluded to is a phenomenal idea. Um, and there, I mean, listen, there's no way to protect if a guy drives the ball outside the rope line where the fans have trampled. Yeah. That's just golf, and that's just going to happen. But the graduated rough is a wonderful idea. If a guy drives the ball and it hits the fairway, but it's overturning and it still bounces out of the fairway, he shouldn't be massively penalized for that. Yeah. So graduated rough I love. You know, another thing, too, that's getting a little bit um, on the crazy side is, is the speed of the greens. Um some of the stuff that, that came out recently 
but it referred back to, in, I believe it was 1977, when the stint meter was first kind of introduced. Uh, the green speeds, I think, at Augusta National that year were 8.1. Um, I think the U.S. Open that year was a 7.7 maybe. Um, and, and you read this, and, and, and the massive disparity now where greens are rolling you know, 12, 13, 14, and, and then 15. And, and then on top of that, you've got these whole locations that are three paces off the edge, and they're right over a crown. And you know, that's the bit where it's really hard for the viewer on TV to appreciate you start getting these really goofy hole locations on super fast greens, and you're playing away from the flag with a wedge. And, and, and you're doing that because if you short-side yourself at all, it's an automatic bogey, maybe double. Um, so it, it forces a certain style of play where you really can't quite be super aggressive and try to separate, you know, get some, any type of separation amongst the field. Yeah, no, I think... Uh... A good test doesn't necessarily have to be really hard, you know. I think correct. I think, uh, and again, this is unfair comparison because not every course can be Augusta, but Augusta is a great test. Like if you're off your game, you're going to shoot well over par and you're going to be done. But yes. if you're on, there's enough birdie holes out there that you can post 15 under, 18 under, like Speed did last year, and win the tournament. So. Um, yes. it, that's an impossible balance for, to ask the USGA to find rotating courses on the annual basis. But um, I just get I get nervous with the, their their having them having to feel like they need to defend par. Um, yes. When, when scores go low at the British Open, no one says a thing. And never. Yeah, it's not it's not a never. bad thing. I mean, I, it's not. I don't know. I think that par in general gets way overrated. I mean, there's a 290 yard par three this week. If they called it a par four, no one would talk about it. It would be a great if hole. If they called it a par four, they would say it's the greatest hole. Yeah, in the golf course. Exactly. But it, as as a par three, though, it's now supposedly the worst hole on the golf course. And it's, right. It's the exact same hole. Either way, the, the, it's the same hole. Right. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I, and I don't mean to you know obviously put the usga on a, on a cross or anything but it's just funny how like the whole week we're going to talk about the golf course exactly. you know what i'm saying and and there's a certain part of me that thinks that mike davis just loves that <laughs> i can see that so. <laughs> yeah i've always said the uh the golf course is the setting it shouldn't be the story it's the setting right i mean uh amen and when we when you know like i said comparing to the british open again it's like we talk about the course for a while who it fits and then it's about the action yep. it's about who wins and whatnot then so. it's about the golf. Yep, exactly. exactly. So, um, how much when you're not playing a tournament? How much do you tune into the action on TV? Oh, I watch a lot of it. Do you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a sicko. Yeah, <laughs> Golf Channel. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm bad. And, and one day that it'll be rehab. Um, and uh, my my professional career has me headed for four rubber walls, and I get that. Um, you know, I hope that Merck and Pfizer are still around as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I watch it. I, I'm a sicko. Okay. Uh, but. But you know, but I'll even you know stop and watch guys hit balls on the range. I mean, if Roy McIlroy's hitting range balls, I'll watch that guy hit balls. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, let's be honest. And uh, I mean, even well, even you know, a guy like a Justin Thomas. I mean, he's he's not big at all. And you watch that guy hit a driver, and you think, holy cow, that's how you're supposed to hit a driver. Yeah. And I mean, the, the lengths these guys are hitting it, it's it's impressive. I, I think you. I have. Uh, I think you answered my not this question, but the next one with what you just said. But uh, I'm just curious. In that you're you're 36 now. Is that right? That's correct. 37 you're, next week. 37 it's, next it's week. Coming fast. Happy early birthday! But you're you. 22nd all time in career earnings. And, yep. and by what I'm looking at on the on your career page is you played you played one event in your career on the Web.com tour. Is that right? 
Yes, correct. So you have had this longevity of all, all, over a decade. Um, what do you owe, the, owe that to? And it sounds like you're a golf sicko and a nut that is practicing his ass off all the time and very dedicated to the game. But what? Well, not a lot of guys uh, really enjoy that, that consistency year over year that you've had. What do you, what do you owe it to? Well, I, I've always had good help. Um, you know, I, I've always told – Oh, I mean, I've, listen, I've, I've had more golf teachers than girlfriends, so that's uh, – and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But, um, you know, I, I've always tried to find the best and the smartest people to help me, and um, and I've always been one of those guys like, dude, listen, I can't figure all this out on my own. I need help. And um, so, I, you know, I, I would credit to a lot of good instructors over the years. Um, I would credit to, fortunately, knock on wood, never being injured, um, and – you know, other than that, though, I just I just love it. You know, when I'm home, I play and practice a lot. Um, you know, when I'm at tournaments, uh, I, I I still want to be there. I still enjoy it. Uh, you know, that may change one day. You know, certain guys are like, man, I've had enough. I'm tired of it, and and I get that. But you know, I, I still enjoy it. I still like being there. Um, you know, for whatever way, I found the reason to be excited for every season. Um, but I think the other one is I, I've been lucky. I've never been hurt. And, I, and, and, man, you see a lot of guys, when they get hurt, um, and I mean, you look at Tiger, which is an extreme case, it just, it's really, really, really hard to come back from that. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, the, what I wanted to follow up with, and you're not close to this. You're 13 years away starting next week. But I've always yep. wanted to ask someone, because I don't think we've really gotten to this. Um, maybe VJ's in this category. Furyk will be in it soon. Phil soon. But... Um, guys that have made a lot of money on, on the PGA Tour that have been a part of this big boom of money, uh, what is your? What do you think your motivation level is going to be to play into your 50s and 60s on the Champions Tour? That's a hell of a question, and honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this the other day. You know, with the with the advent of the the, the FedEx Cup, now you're asking guys to play a lot of tournaments. Um, <clears throat> on top of that, the majors world events, uh, you know, a guy like a Rory McIlroy, he's going to have a lot of mileage on his body, um, and he probably already has more money than he'll ever spend, right? So it's going to be really interesting to see if golf goes the direction of NBA and NFL. When guys, when they're 40, they're kind of done, you know? Um, it's going to be interesting to watch that because you're right because this is the first real generation that's come through that has enough money where they don't need to keep playing. Um, and, and to watch that with all these – good younger players it'll be interesting to see and um it's also hard to comment whether this is entirely true but seemingly players nowadays are more injured than players 20 30 40 years ago um i don't know why that is um even a tiger woods as many you know days and that we spent together and as many you know days and months and years i saw that guy in the gym um, I don't think he was in there trying to get hurt. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy was in there trying to stay fit. Um, so, yeah, we also have a generation of where guys are kind of banged up. And, yeah, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see when a Jason Day, a Rory McIlroy, a Dustin turn 40, 45 and see what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think um – I, have you ever heard of, I don't know if you've ever read the, what, the piece that a guy on our site, Big Randy, wrote. It, we, we call it the Tiger Tax. And by the way, I went as long as possible without mentioning the name Tiger Woods because I know you probably get yeah. that a lot. And you brought him up first for the record. So. Yeah, no, dude, no, fire away. No, <laughs> I'm no, kidding. No, he's a good uh, yeah, fire away. So we, we invented this thing called the Tiger Tax, and he did an analysis okay. of – 
uh, how, exactly how much money Tiger has put in the pockets of PGA Tour players. Um, yes. And his his conservative estimate was somewhere in the in the range. And he did a pretty good economical study. I I, I definitely can't critique it, but his estimate was one point two billion dollars that he has put in other other players' pockets. So <laughs> yes, uh, yes. His goal was to be to to make a part two of that, and he was going to be sending invoices to particular players. Like this is what yes. you owe Tiger. So if yes. if we if he was going to send you an invoice, how much would you say you owe to Tiger Woods? Shoot, probably fifteen million dollars. Oh my god! Yeah. If, that, if that's I the mean, case, then then he is being very conservative with his one point two billion estimate. I'm pretty sure. No, he is. Because look, I mean, I turned pro in two thousand, and that was right when the Tiger boom was really going. Um, I mean, you look at what the guy's done for the game of golf. You know, he made it cool. I mean, when I grew up playing golf, dude, I, I mean, I'm a golf nerd. You know, I mean, I couldn't play any other sport. I mean, I could hardly walk and chew gum. So, um, you know, golf was it for me. And and Tiger came along, and Tiger made that made it cool and got people watching on television. And then we signed the big TV deal. And, um, I mean, Tim Fincham came along at one heck of a time to run the PGA <laughs> Tour. I can tell you that. <laughs> Is uh, So I, I know that there was – the story about you were on the President's Cup team in 2003, and uh, I, I think you told the story to Alan Shipnick with uh, Golf.com yes. about, um, was that before or after the President's Cup that the, when he went swimming with the shark? So that was, I qualified for the President's Cup team, and, and that the President's Cup then was in November, so we had a couple weeks off, and Tiger and, and Elon asked my wife and I, hey, do you want to fly down with us to South Africa, no, on, on his plane, mind you, um, <laughs> a few days early? And we'll go sightsee and, and, and do some other stuff. Well, hell, I'd love to. You know, as much time as I could spend around that guy, yeah. yeah. So we fly down there, and Tiger says, hey, listen, there's a thing. You might have seen it on National Geographic. It's called Seal Island, um, just off the coast there of South Africa. And we're going to go out, and we're going to try to chum up the water, and we're going to go great white shark diving. I'm like, well, we ain't, but I'll go on the boat with you. But you, you're more than happy to. Because he was obviously big into diving, and I mean, he obviously never hit that from anyone. And mm-hmm. so we're gonna go out there. And now a couple other tidbits of it: Tiger is is the most ADD human being on the planet. Okay. okay. Number one. Number two is he doesn't sleep at all. So the guy cannot stay still, and he is so impatient. Well, we're on this boat, and it smells horrendous off this seal island. And you don't have to use your imagination why, <laughs> but it's awful. And. So we're sitting there, and we have literally chummed this water for a good seven, eight hours. And we have thrown everything in the water you can throw in from all parts of fish, blood, guts, everything. We've driven around in circles. And then we've also drug around these, like, big black rugs essentially behind the boat so the sharks think it's a seal. So they come up and go and try to attack them. I mean, we've done all we can do to get a great white shark to come around. We haven't seen one. Now, you know they're down there. So... As the day is progressing on, Tiger's beyond bored, and he is—he's in his—he's already put on his wetsuit, so he's already in a full-on black wetsuit, head to toe, including the thing on his head and everything. Well, we're about 150 yards from the Seal Island at this time, and there's a thousand seals on the thing. Well, the, we're kind of towards the front of the boat, and all of a sudden we hear this splash. Oh God! Said, what the hell was that? Was that a shark? And we go back there, and it's Tiger, and he's just gone straight ass in the water. Well, the boat captain goes nuts. 
nuts, and he's screaming to get in the boat, get in the boat, get in the boat. I mean, now you imagine Tiger's made a splash, and he looks like a seal on top of the water. And so now he's swimming towards the island, and he hollers that he wants to go over there and see if he can touch a seal. Well, they start going nuts, these seals do. And they're making all kinds of noises and jumping and this. And I mean, and Tiger probably swam a good 75 yards towards that island before he decided to turn around and come back to the boat. And I kept thinking, was this is it. I'm going to watch Tiger Woods get tore up by a great white shark here, and I'm going to tell my kids about this. And this, this is the moment when my golf career ended right here. Like the best thing we got going for us is about to get eaten by a shark, and there is nothing I can do about it. <laughs> I mean, this guy – and you know, I told Alan the story basically to, to, to tell people how fearless the guy really is. Um, I mean, the guy has no fear, and you know, and that that translated to the golf course. That nothing ever bothered the guy. No situation, no moment, no shot he had to pull off. Um, and clearly, with this, I mean, the thought of a great white shark eating him or a seal, whatever, didn't even bother him. Straight in the water. Um, yeah, that was the point of the story. But yes, I, I did witness that, and it was uh, it was incredible. So do you you uh, you played with Tiger a lot back when he was in the, in the Windermere days? Is that right? You play at Isleworth. Do you play at Isleworth? Is that That's what you're correct? Yeah. I do. I play live at Isleworth. Yes. Okay. Do you work out with him too? You know, we did some mornings. Yeah. Um, you know, back back then, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Tiger couldn't sleep. I mean, he'd work out at four o'clock in the morning, five in the morning. Um, I mean, if he was ever in there at a normal hour, yes. Um, but extremely fit guy. Um, Obviously so. I mean, he was sort of the godfather of golf fitness. and um, But we spent most of our time practicing together um, and playing. That was um, you know, my most fun golf days of, of my career. Yeah, and I guess, did you, did, is that how you guys became friends, was just through living in the same community? That's correct. So okay. living there and me probably aggravating him more than he cared to be. <laughs> uh, but I was going to learn as much from that guy as I could. <laughs> yeah, it's good, that's good friend to have. Um, yes, so you, yes. uh, back to that 2003 President's Cup team, um, I, 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 so I'm a huge, personally, just as a golf fan, huge Ryder Cup fan. Uh, President's yep. Cup, as since I've been alive, I mean, it's only been around since I've been alive, but it's not been the closest competition. I mean, the, it doesn't, it's not the true rivalry. Um, when you, in that 2003 that ended up in a tie, which I love the playoff format, I, I it may have changed since, since then, but it's Ernie Els versus Tiger Woods for the title. Yep. Like, and yep. um, what I mean, I, I, in general, I, I, I hate questions like, "What were the emotions like out there?" But yep. what it, what what was the tension like at that moment? I mean, is there um, basically? I want, I, there's nothing. You're out of control in that situation, and you're because you're, you're just relying on Tiger. But yep. was there just absolute faith that, the, that he was going to make that putt on 18? And like, or I forget what hole he made that that tying putt on. But like, did, was there any doubt you were you were not going to lose that tournament? There was not one shred of doubt, I think, in our mind or in every other fan of the international team's mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was the day when Tiger's – I mean, Tiger was Tiger. And and not only did you expect it, but it's almost like the fans and all the golf, whatever, they willed this stuff to happen. And it did happen. And, and man, the putts that him and Ernie, obviously all to Ernie's credit, made were incredible. And, you know, the amount of pressure, the amount of everything – and. I remember we, we got done, and, and they called it a tie, and it was dark, and they had all these vans down there getting us into, and Tiger happened to hop into the van that, that uh, my wife and I were uh, sitting in already, and he got in there, 
and he just looked absolutely drained and worn out. And he just sat there. And of all the time I'd spent around him, I'd never seen him that way. And he just looked over at us. He goes, oh my God, I need a drink. <laughs> and so you could even tell that moment got him. You know, it, there, there weren't many that did, but that one got him. Um, just the whole way it ended with the tie and all this, the crowds. And obviously we were in South Africa and they were so pro Ernie L's. And um, yeah, I think even that moment, it, as well as both of them played and were, it, it, it even got him a little bit. You played on that team and the 2007 team. Is that is it Correct. is it just how everyone says? Are the nerves just completely different when you're playing in a team event? It, it, it is because you're playing for someone else too. Yeah. Um, because when you go to singles matches, it goes away a little bit because you know it, it's just yourself versus that guy, and I can take the credit or the blame. But man, when it's the team days, it's brutal. Uh, especially alternate shot. I mean, I'm telling you, it's just. You, you love those days, but you hate them too because you just know it's a full day of it. Everybody feels it, but because you're playing for someone else and don't want to let them down, it's brutal. And you played with you prepared with Tiger both for foursomes and four ball in that 2003 one, weren't you? 2003 and 2007, wow. yes. It, and Tiger said, you know, listen, we're going to go down here to South Africa. I'll take you under my wing. You just play with me every day. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> um, but no, that, that's okay. You're fine. Uh, I, I'm good. But uh, it was awesome. I mean, watching the guy under pressure and the shots he hit. And, um, I mean, he was like a big brother to me. And um, it was as much as he would try to calm you know me down hey it's no big deal it's just a golf shot i'm like yeah it's no big deal at all sure and I, you know <laughs> says a guy that's already won eight majors no it's not a big deal at all so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you were how old were you at the time 20 well the 22 ish right in there 22 23 oh yeah i mean it yeah, yeah it, it got my attention well um is that i guess it, it, have you ever been more nervous? Is there one shot in your career, that I guess, that stands out? That, like, what's the most nervous you've ever been standing over a ball? Is it in a, in a team event like that, or is it in a PGA Tour event? It was first tee shot of the Masters in 2002. Um, and that's simply because growing up in Augusta, watching the Masters all those years, wanting to play it, yeah, that opening tee shot, I was so nervous. I mean, I had muscles or whatever they are shake on me. I didn't know could move. Um, it, Yeah, I... It was a moment, and I, yeah, I, I was the most nervous and anxious, excited, and yeah, that 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 was the one for me by far. And uh, you, did you you grew up in Augusta, obviously, and that's everyone's yes. favorite uh, favorite storyline. Come leading up to the Masters is whether or not you're going to be in the field at Augusta. But did you play? Did you get to play the course at all growing up as a kid? I did. Every year in May, um, they they have what they call as an employee day, and some of the higher up employees can invite a guest. So I got to know a whole bunch of the caddies throughout the years and because we had played some public courses together in Augusta. So one of them would inevitably invite me every year to play with them. And, but it, it's a great day. You, you make a tee time, and we always had the first tee time off, you know, 6.30, 6.40, whenever, and you just play all day. And now you have to wait for the other tee times to get off. But, man, once they're done, you can go all day. Um, the absolute greatest day of the year as a kid for me. Um, you know, and then after that, when I was in college, uh, I'd still come back home and, and, and play with some other members there. But yeah, the, the course is, it's, it's great year round. I mean, I was in the first three months it's closed in the summer, but man, when that place is open, it's awesome. I mean, there's just not a better place to be to play golf. So when you, uh, who do you play with these days out at Isleworth? Or do you practice mostly on your own? Or do you have, I, don't, I actually, to be honest, I don't even know who all are members out there, who all plays out there. 
Well, we, we've had a bit of a changing of the guard. You know, Tiger left, and then we've had J.B. Holmes that lived in there, and, and he left. But, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of practicing by myself. When I go play, um, I'll play with Lee Jansen a bit. Um, you know, I see Arjun Outwalls in there, uh, Nick O'Hearn. Uh, play a bit of golf with him. Um, you know, we've had we actually have a good group of uh, of just regular members that are good players I play with. But yeah, I'll, I'll go out there and play with anybody. I don't care. How, how does that? I guess um, I'm guessing that the the members there are just used to having pros around. But do you? What is that? I guess do you? I've always wondered what that's like to have. Uh, if you're a member, to have pros around. Do people ever bother you? Come up, introduce themselves, or go out of their way to kind of potentially annoy you a little bit or is there like a policy like leave the pros alone if they're practicing and whatnot you know we you know throughout the year because tiger was there first none of us can get their attention yeah i mean let's just be honest (laughs) that's true they got so used to seeing the big cat there that we don't matter but um no all the pros there are are really cool um you know with the members if they come up and ask questions um you know, no member could bug any pro there except Bubba. Um, Bubba can get annoyed um, by a gnat flying around him, and um, and that's just how it is and how it was. Uh, Bubba just moved out, um, but uh, but yes, other other than Bubba, we we never had an issue with any member ever bothering a professional. <laughs> Do you ever play with Bubba out there? You, you know what? We did a little bit. Um, I've known Bubba since I was um, since I was seven years old. Believe it or not, um, we played the. The future masters against each other in Dothan, Alabama, and um, I remember this kid coming out there, and he was seven, eight years old. I mean, the guy could hit it two forty then, Jeez. and we're like, "What is this guy? Like, he's what is he?" And then he's from Baghdad, Florida, and his name's Bubba. And I'm like, "Man, you know." And but yeah, I've, I've known Bubba way too long for my sanity. <laughs> Um, so how often, I guess, do you, are you, it sounds like you said earlier, you've had more golf coaches than you've had girlfriends. Like, are you someone you consider that you, you tweak your game a lot or are you, um, I guess, who are you, who do you work with these days? I'm I'm sorry. I don't even know that. Well, so, okay. So I, I mean, I'm sort of one of the guys where I'm always trying to tweak it, but I, but I understand and appreciate how hard it is to change. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm one of the guys where if I see a member on the range getting a lesson or somebody get like I, I am, I say I know how hard it is to change a golf swing. So, um, I mean, I work with a guy out of Southern California named Dana Dahlquist. Uh, he kind of falls in the Mac O'Grady mold, um, you know, way of instruction and teaching. But I, I've had so many guys over the over the years help me, but that I do understand and appreciate how hard it is to change. Um, but I've also started working with a short game instructor, um, a gentleman out of New York, John Graham is his name. It's really helped me on that, and I think he's also gotten me excited to practice a short game because of you know how much of a faster impact that can make on your score than let's say another full swing lesson. Okay. So, are you um, good transition question here? How analytical do you get with the some of the newer advanced stats like the strokes gained and the uh, and, and all that? Um, you know, I, I've, I've gotten more into it. I, I try to understand them first. You know, I want to understand, you know, how they do the stats and how they get them done. And, uh, I do like it because it's a bit of a comparison of me against, you know, my, you know, competitors. Right. And I can understand sort of, you know, how I'm stacking up against them. I, I think that's important. Um, so in, in that regard of stuff that I, I feel like they can actually be helpful. 
as opposed to just saying, oh, how many fairways did you hit? How many greens did you hit? I mean, hell, we all want to do better at that, right? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, do, but are you, do you, I guess, do you put more value in those things than something such as driving percentage accuracy or greens and regulation oh, or putts absolutely, for absolutely, okay. no doubt. Okay. I mean, because, yeah, no doubt, yeah, for sure. Okay. And so how often are you checking the – or first of all, how, how accurate would you say the driving distance stats are on the PGA Tour? Uh, is it like – are you? Are, do guys like measure up against each other? Like, hey, I've got you in the rankings now, or I, I outdrive you, or is it kind of like, well, we know it can kind of get screwed up from week to week, or depending on what shots they measure. <laughs> yeah, they're so bad. I mean, they're <laughs> just bad, and, and it just amazes me because we have shot link data on so many. But you know, a lot, a lot of the guys, like, I'll, like I'll, I'll go play with Dustin, and you'll see his driving distance this year two ninety eight point one. You're like, really? Was he in the three iron? I mean, you know, they, they don't. There's not necessarily they're hitting a driver. They, they, they might have missed it. It might have landed in the rough. I mean, hell, it could have hit a tree and kicked backwards. And so, no, they're not accurate. I mean, you as a player know, um, you know, the five or six guys that can move it, and and they will always be the same. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just, I mean, it gets talked about every week, and you see it on TV. You can see the yardages, but I think, and again, I was talking to you earlier, I don't, I don't get to go to golf tournaments too often. Just being at the Memorial for a week or just for that week, and seeing Jason Day's dry tee shots where they're landing compared to David Lingmuth, yes. I mean, it's just to see in person that how much higher and further they hit it. It's like, man, you just see this incredible advantage that people have. Would I mean? Yes. I don't remember. You may have touched on this earlier, but would you say technology, uh, the growth has helped you in relation to your peers, or has hurt you in relation to your peers, or neutral? Well, I think it's it, it's it's been neutral to help me is what I would say. Yeah. Um, it certainly hadn't hurt. Um, the guys where you really see it, you know, Jeff Ogilvy, he's a really sharp guy, and and Jeff and I are friends, and you know, you know, he made a comment one time. He's like, you know, a lot of these younger players, um, uh, you know, they've never seen a ball like really curve. Yeah. You know, they've never seen a ball really hook or really slice, and they just go at it and just kill it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that that makes a difference. You know, where um, you know, then Jeff alluded to when you watch a Rory swing or these guys, they just look so free, like there's no hesitation in them. Like it's just full on, you know? And um, man, it's fun to watch. Obviously, they can hit it miles. And, and, and those guys have obviously, as good as they are, found a way to hit it relatively straight. Yeah, I mean, so do you, it sounds like you would say you grew up in the high school and whatnot playing a very different game than how it is now, right? I mean, you've seen. How much those balada balls can duck hook or slice, whereas these guys yeah. have never experienced that really. I never really thought of that no, in that because no. I mean, when I played in I guess middle and high school, I remember the, you know the ball spinning way more. But I, those yeah. guys that are five years younger than me, they would have never even had that. I've never really I guess thought of it from that perspective. But well, and you look at a guy like a Justin Thomas and those guys, how high they launch their driver, dude. If we'd have done that growing up, the ball would have been behind our head. <laughs> and so right, I mean, I mean that's how the game is really evolving and changing. Yeah, uh, the more deep, I guess, philosophical—not really philosophical, but a deeper question. Um, if you look back at your career, what's something you'd say you're most proud of? Uh, my longevity. Yeah, uh, I'd say you know the relative consistency of it would be uh, the thing I'm most proud of. Uh, I haven't won the tournaments I thought I would win. Uh, to be honest, like I, I thought I would win more. Um, it, for whatever reason, you know, when I've gotten up in the mix to win or to be there, uh, I, I, I've tried too hard, and um, like I've just I've tried to overdo it a little bit. Um, 
as opposed to no, just keep doing what I'm doing to get there, you know. And I think, and I think that's something this learned a little bit, you know. It's like, okay, wait a minute. If I played good enough to get here, I don't have to, um, you know, to overdo it anymore. Uh, but it's it, that, that's been, I think, a challenge of me uh, to being able to win more golf tournaments. Would uh, I mean? Obviously, the answer is yes. But it's how much different is playing under that pressure to win right because you can feel when the television cameras are on you more people are around you your leaderboard watching and you know what the stakes are um is it something that you i mean some guys have i guess learned to control it learned to get used to it and whatnot but is it something that you can ever really i guess something you can learn and truly feel in your game that you can change or adjust to uh, just in some things like you said, you're just mentally you're trying too hard or doing too much. Like, is that something you could, that you feel like you've improved on in your career at all? You know, I think I've gotten better at it. I would still love to, you know, crawl inside the head of a Tiger Woods or a or a whoever that was able to win as much as they did and see if they're able to be somewhat the same person. Um, you know, I've I've talked to um, you know I talked to Phil uh, Mickelson and, and Bones about this and. You know, Bones like, man, when Phil gets near the lead, man, his adrenaline's going up, and he just hit, starts hitting the ball miles, you know. And, and he's like, you know, we've got to adjust for that and this. And, and I, I mean, I, I would love to know what the true greats of the game, how they felt, you know, in, in those situations. Yeah, it helps, I think, once you've got – I mean, Phil's got 40 now, but once you've got 15 or 20 of those wins in your pocket, it's got to be pretty – a lot easier to adjust to it. But I just – since you uh, – I mean, you stared Phil down in the 07 Nissan and beat him in a playoff. Yes. Is that did, – did that um, – did, did your reaction to those kind of situations change after that, or does it still the same kind of nerves you battle when you're in contention? You know, it's it, the nerves definitely part went away. Uh, the excitement and the wanting to win might have even gone up a little bit, um, as opposed to saying, "No, you know what? It just is what it is. We're going to play this golf hole the same we've played it all week." You know, et cetera, et cetera, and, and all the cliches, right? You know, mm-hmm. one shot at a time, or whatever you want to call it. But, but still, and just can we just try to find a way just to play golf these last four holes as we normally would, and let's just see what the heck happens. Yeah. Is there a few more questions? I'll let you get out of here. I'm taking up a lot of your time, but this has been uh, this has been awesome. But uh, is there a shot you've hit in your career that stands out the most? Like this is if 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 you were to show someone one shot you hit, like this is my career highlight. What would that be? Um. Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, that's a hell of a question, actually. Um, I would probably say. Uh, mm, Professional golf, actually, it would be in 2002 at Kingsmill up in uh, up in Virginia, where I won my first uh, PJ Tour event. Um, the 18th hole is a brutal driving hole. Uh, I had a one shot lead at the time, and I hit just a really, really good drive on that hole, and and obviously it, it won me the tournament. That that would be the one. Uh, that'd be the one I was the most proud of because yeah, you know, I was 20 what 21, 22 at the time, and and it was my first win and. Yeah, that that'd be the one I'd say. Yeah, that 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 one shot. Okay. On the opposite side, if you could, if you had one mulligan to take in your career, what would it be? You've never Man, been asked. You've never that, been asked these questions. I'm surprised. No, no not those two. Um, <laughs> one mulligan to take. Let me think here. It would probably be something to do around the Masters, um, simply because 
you know, that event has meant so much to me. I finished, uh, I think my best finish there was like 11th or 12th one year. Um, and it was probably one of the holes coming down the stretch where I threw up all over myself not to finish top five um, and found a way to limp in around 11th. So it would probably be one of those ones for sure. Okay. Um, if you, what, what's something that you know now at age 36, almost 37, that you wish you know, knew when you came on tour at 21? Um, don't try so hard and, and, and everything is going to be okay. Um, your life's going to be fine. And I, I wish I'd have known that more. And people can tell you it, people can tell you to relax and people can tell you to go enjoy yourself. But, um, like I truly think had I known that then, um, I would have had a better career. Uh, and, and it's what, it's a little bit of the mentality I see in these, uh, good younger players. You know, they've got a way about them where, oh, if I played bad, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. I'll go play next week. I'll go get them next week. Um, or if they have a bad spell, two or three missed cuts, it's all good. I'll go play. Um, where that stuff really bothered me. Um, you know, when I played poorly, um, you know, I got down on myself and probably miserable to be around. And, um, if I could go back and do it all over again with a little more of a laid back, relaxed attitude, I, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I think, would you say uh, you wouldn't? If you're entering the tour at age 21, you wouldn't. Would you start your career over if you had the option right now, or would you say, "Look, I've had it pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with with yeah. the way my career's been." Dude, that's a great question. And you know what my answer is? No, I would not start over. Yeah, I wouldn't think no. so. It's I like, mean, dude, I look at these animals coming out now playing, and no sir, buddy. Um, <laughs> No, I, I'm in my career. I'm just happy right now. Had, had I done it over again with a little more relaxed attitude, yes. But buddy, the time machine, I'm I'm okay right now. <laughs> Good, yeah, I can imagine so. Um, more lighthearted question: If I'm playing with you in a pro am, so I'm I'm just going to assume you're going to be nice to me either way. But what's yeah. the most annoying thing some like a, an amateur can do? For five hours, or in in a group with you in a pro am, like what, what's something that's just like, all right, if you're playing a pro am, just don't do this. And something, it's got to be something you've seen before, I would think. So, okay, we've seen it all. Um, without a doubt, you're not in the U.S. Open. It's okay. You can pick the ball up. You don't have to take a drop. You don't have to put out for your eleven. Um, you know, par really is your partner, and just just relax, just enjoy your day, have fun. Without a doubt, the best playing groups I've had, they pulled beers or vodka out of their bag between the fifth and seventh holes. Um, they were half annihilated by the end of the day, and we had a great time. Um, <laughs> now, just last week, actually in Memphis, I, I looked it up. It was my 470th golf tournament uh, on the PGA Tour, and a guy in my group said, "Charles, I know you've played a lot of pro ams and." Of all of them, man, what was the worst group you've ever had? And I looked at him, and this group was terrible. Oh, and we no. were taking so long to play. I said, buddy, let me tell you something. It's you. <laughs> and, I mean, we, I, this is my 470th tournament, big fella, and I think it may be you guys. And he started dying laughing. But I said, I said, listen, when you go home tonight, you can tell your wife, honey, I'm the best. I'm, I mean, you you were one in 470. They can't take ever take that away from you. And, and uh, but yeah, man, we've seen it all. I mean, these six hour pro-ams, it, they always start off. They're so excited on the first hole. By number 12, they've had enough. They're tired. They're miserable because they don't walk every day. You know, when yeah. they're home, they ride. And, right. uh, and I get that. But yeah, we've, uh, we've had some good ones. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire and make you answer it. Who Who's your winner this week at Oakmont? 
Uh, you know, I was speaking with a buddy about this last night. I think Rory McIlroy, and, okay. and here's why. I think driving there is going to be really, really important. Um, we know he's strong as an ox if he does drive the ball in the rough. Uh, you know, and his putting looks a little better. Um, and it, it, if he puts it all, it's it's Rory McIlroy. Okay, interesting. Pick your pick. I picked DJ before the season started. Yeah. Um, yeah. My thought process in that was the greens are going to be so freaking hard there that the putting's almost going to be neutralized. And yeah. uh, he can hit a lot of irons off tees where some guys have to hit driver, and he can be yeah. hitting more wedges into holes, hold greens. And he's been trending yeah. in the right direction. I, I think he's as likely to miss the cut as he is to win it, but he's my pick bef- since before the season. Um, no, you're spot on on that. You know, and the thing that scares me about Jason Day is, you know, admittedly, he doesn't drive the ball well with his three wood, um, and, and there's not going to be a lot of drivers at Oakmont. And and, and I don't know if, if if he can get away with hitting that two iron all day. I think he can be up there, but if certain holes force him to hit three wood off the tee, I don't know how comfortable he's going to be around there. That's interesting. I mean, I think I was going to say my uh, my if I was going with my if I had a gun to my head right now as a pick, I think I would still go with Spieth. Um, yep. I just yep. feel like he's going to be doing his this top five at majors, hovering around that lead for just yep. a ton. And I'm not. I think yep. his uh, he kind of screwed up the curve by winning his like those two in a row last year. I think we're more yep. likely to see more of the T four. He saw the British and this runner up at the PGA, and this year runner up at Masters. Like I think it's going to yep. be more common that he's going to be clo- have close calls than wins, but. Um, I just think he's going to be right in the mix and more likely to be like a, a safer bet to be in the mix than DJ is. But um, I, I don't know. You, these courses that you just don't you see once a decade, it's really hard to really predict who's going to show out at them. Well, but. It is, right? Because then you, then you think, well, how about Louis days Or how yeah. about a Charles Schwartzel? Or how about a Henrik Stenson even, right? I mean, he's been relatively quiet this year. And um, But, yeah, no, dude, I, I like it. I like the DJ pick. And uh, it, it we know this. It'll be entertaining to watch. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. The course looks absolutely stunning on TV. It I hope, looks beautiful. I hope yeah. the weather holds out. And uh, Fox has got a lot of coverage. USGA.com's got a lot of coverage. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. And I know. I'm glad to hear that you're that you're a golf nerd as well. I'm going to be going to be tuned. Oh, buddy, I'm well. sick. I'll be right there with you watching. It. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So, Charles, man, thank you for an hour of your time. Very much appreciated. This was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, thank you for coming up to me at the memorial. I would have had no idea that you. Uh, she even knew who I was, so this was uh, this is a great bonus. So much appreciated. Well, shoot, you keep do, keep doing what you're doing. If I can ever help you do anything in the world for you, just please let me know and uh, and stay in touch. All right, man. Take care. Thanks a lot for your time. All right. Later. Have a great day now. All right. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.